listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. Welcome to the Darshan Talks podcast. I'm your host, Darshan Kulkarni. It's my mission to help you trust the people, trust the products you depend on. I'm an attorney, I'm a pharmacist, and I advise companies with FDA-regulated products. So if you think about drugs, wonder about devices, or obsess over pharmacy, this is the podcast for you. I do have to emphasize, I'm an attorney, but I'm not your attorney. I'm a pharmacist, but I'm not your pharmacist. Um, my guest is, I, I believe you're a PhD, aren't you? Pandi. PharmD. So she's also a PharmD, but she's not your PharmD. So she's not your pharmacist. So this is neither legal advice nor clinical advice. Uh, these are considerations. These do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host, the guest, their employers, or their clients. Um, if, if you like what you hear, please like, leave a comment, please subscribe, please share. Uh, you can always ask our guests questions, so please feel free to do that. Uh, you can always reach out to me on Twitter at Darshan Talks. Or just go to our website at darshantalks.com. Um, today's interview is super fun. Uh, I have known uh, my guest for several years. I've actually had her husband on twice, but we finally convinced her to join us. She is part of what my girlfriend called a power couple. So uh, our, if, if you are interested in medical affairs, if you are trying to understand how um, how companies do product launches? How does a, a company that came out of nowhere create a major splash? Um, she is in the middle of all of that right now. She's the VP of Medical Affairs for a company called Chemocentrics, a little company you, got, you guys may have heard about, but right now it's been in the news a lot uh, because they've got some. They've got a really interesting product coming out. Um, our guest is um, is a pharmacist, as I mentioned. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest for today, Irene Von Hennings. How are you, Irene? I am fine. So good to see you, Darshan. <laughs> it's so good, good to have you. It, it's been a while. And, and in the time that I've known you, you've, you've moved, you've sort of changed, and you've kept going up, up, up the food chain. So let's talk a little bit about um, your career a little bit. Where, we, we don't need to get into specifics, but talk to me a little bit about how you landed up where you are today. Um, I actually, so my, my career, I've been in the pharmaceutical industry and medical affairs for about 26 years. Um, and where I landed uh, today was actually, I, I started consulting for chemocentrics and I basically fell in love with the, with the science and the, 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 of course, leading medical affairs and helping out build, um, you know, things from scratch, really what I'm passionate about. And I ended up joining the company and, um, you know, and it took off from there, of course. So so you came in as a consultant. Now, one of the things that I've always been afraid of personally is when someone says, we want to bring you in as a consultant um, as a three month project. And uh, and then we'll figure it out from there. In your experience, I mean, it worked out for you, obviously, here. But is that something that. You, you think that is a good idea because you find that there's steady work, you're getting paid a higher rate, or do you think that that is a career non-starter for, for you? If, if you are a starting out uh, person in medical affairs, how do you deal with that? 
Yeah, so it's it wasn't exactly like that. I had started my own consulting company and um, I started you know partnering with uh, with different pharmaceutical companies, and Chemocentrics was one of that one of them. However, um, because of the stage where Chemocentrics was, um, it, the work was so fascinating. It's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I would say that the the consulting work is is amazing. Uh, provided a lot of opportunities. Um, it's you're really accountable for the work. You own it. Uh, not that you don't own it when you're employed within a company, but really the responsibility is on your back. But the beauty of it is you start a project from beginning to end, and and the reward is in the product that you deliver to that company. Um, so it was a little bit different here, but you know there are pros and cons to consulting versus being on board. Um, my consulting business was at first for me. Um, I held it for about six months, very successful, but my heart was really in building medical affairs, especially when, when science is so fascinating. Um, and, and, you know, I just wanted to see the birth of the product we were working on. <laughs> so, so, so let's talk about that. Let, let's talk a little bit about building a medical affairs team. How did... You came in as a consultant. <clears throat> how do you even go about finding? Are you finding your replacement? Are you finding people who report to you? How do you how do you build a team? And are you doing it from the outside, not from the inside, before you went inside? Oh, before I went. So it was it was basically the the structures, uh, procedures, priorities, um, you know, and and recruitment, building, also bringing the right individuals. Um, I think there is definitely a, an art to um, you know interviewing and recruiting the right talent. Um, and I'm very fortunate today. I have an amazing team of uh, brilliant, brilliant minds, and the leadership is amazing on this team. And and that's something I enjoy. Um, it's really you see the the product of your your efforts into it. Um, as far as building medical affairs is really, you know, what does medical affairs do? We are we educate the medical community. We partner uh, with them. We increase the awareness. And in my situation here, it's um, a therapy that's uh, new, you know, uh, new to the world. It's a first in class um, and, and new actually thinking um, in therapeutics where it is in addition to the standard of care. So, so it's a new therapy, new standard of care. You've got to do a bunch of education. Not, you're not only educating internally, but you're educating externally. So how do you begin to address the problem of this is a whole new way of thinking. Do you, do you start do you, do you start from, from the clinical research and then going, let's build this out? Like how, what is your process to build, as you said, the structure? It's it's data. So we go back to our clinical trials and we extract the data. But you cannot present the data if you don't have great presenters, right? And the great minds behind it. So the most important thing starts when you train your team. Um, and training the team is not really a cookie cutter in, in uh, medical affairs. And that's something that's sometimes it is uh, misunderstood. Um, training is really um, an art. It's an art of scientific exchange where you really would have to sit down and, and everybody brainstorm on that topic and what might come up and what are we missing and what, what additional data do we need? And then figure out, you know, how to nail it down to 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 educate somebody who might not have seen the data or who might not be aware of, um, you know, I'm in the complement science, and complement is not very much understood. Or, you know, right now I think the knowledge is is much higher, 
but it's not, you know, it's not diabetes, it's not hypertension, it's not the hottest thing. So we really have to be precise, specific, and and make sure that we we really mastered the, the art of scientific exchange. So so that's really interesting. So you mentioned complement science. I'm a pharmacist, work as a pharmacist for 20 years. I have no idea what that means. What is complement science? Complement is part of the immune system and it complements, it's recruited to come help the immune system when there is an offense, like an infection or, you know, chemical or any other offense. So it's complements. It's exactly what the name says. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So is that the same thing as uh, adjunct or adjunctive to another treatment or to the actual natural immune system of the body or, or how is that playing itself out? It's, it's an additional um, immune system that comes into action and it gets hyperactivated or it comes into action when it's not supposed to. So it's either hyperactive or it's not working when it's supposed to be working or it's not stopping when it's supposed to stop. So you end up with an autoimmune reaction, basically, that uh -huh. ends up being damaging organs and creating more damage than it should um, because it, it's it's the complement is really important for um, you know defense against for example um, encapsulated bacteria Neisseria meningitis for example. However, when the complement doesn't work the way it should work, that's when it starts working against us, and most um, commonly it affects the kidneys, for example. So, so as you said, you're you're finding yourself educating not just um, physicians and pharmacists and healthcare providers, but your internal team. You came in as a consultant. When did they bring you in? Was it uh, phase three? Was it pre-phase three? When do you come in and start saying, we're ready to start planning a launch of the product? And I came towards the tail end of it. So phase three was done already. Normally medical affairs comes in and start is, it depends on the company. It depends on the, you know, the finances of the company and where we are um, in a product cycle. Um, the, the norm or the preferred actually um, timing is two years before launch. I didn't come two years before launch, but I've done it in, the, in my past. Um, however, I would say the earlier medical affairs comes in, the better it is because it takes time to build relationships. It takes time to educate and, and really go on with clarifying the science and you know better understand and dig into the data. So the earlier medical affairs comes into place, the better it is. So one of the key things you mentioned there is building relationships in the end healthcare is a relationship business, uh, whether it's a physician's relationship with the patient, whether it's the pharma company's relationship with the physician or any of the other relationships. My, my question for you is when you have a novel disease state uh, with a novel treatment, how do you begin to build those relationships? Obviously, you start from the people who are involved in your study, but outside that, what how, do, you, do you start by you can't buy a database of, say, neurologists um, or, or immunologists. What What is the pathway you use to go, I need to build a database of people I need to reach out to? Yeah, so there are uh, so relationships, right? So um, if you are experienced, you come in with relationships already, depending on the specialty that you're going to be calling on and, and de developing those relationships with. However, there are databases and there are companies there that, you know, look into publications, uh, speaking engagement, medical leadership. Uh, then they look at, um, you know, institutions, academic institutions. They look at centers of excellence for this disease state. 
Um, and you are able to compile a list. However, uh, the list is as good as the you know database is, and it's yeah. all, you always need the human touch and the human knowledge. So what we end up doing is we could start from a certain list that we get from um, you know a third party. However, that list ends up being tweaked you know, many, many times, because what happens is if I'm talking to Darshan, Darshan's going to tell me about somebody else who's really an expert in this area, and we're just going to evolve uh, from there. But but relationships matter. So what, what I'm hearing you saying is that you, you start from a database and you start tweaking it as you, meet, as you make more and more contacts. One of the big things that we're dealing with now is the idea of GDPR. And, and building these databases in a world where they want to control how you got that data. How has that impacted the type of database you're building and the relationships you can build from there? So, you know, everything is compliant. And, and of course, we, we respect all privacy and all, you know, rules and regulations. Um, you know, on the other hand is, um, you know, if you are an expert in a, in a therapeutic area, um, it's not a secret, right? You go to one Congress and you know exactly who the experts are um, and who. So you you read articles. You you know theoretically, um, an experienced medical affairs department um, can really come up with um, you know the experts that we would like to develop relationships and collaborations with, but it takes time. So, you know, the science is out there. Now Google and Twitter and, you know, we have so many tools that we can go by. Um, so it's, it's, it's doable. So, and I, I'm, we're not talking about your company specifically, but you guys start off as a small company. You're still a growing company. Um, one of the things I've seen done is that a growing company goes, you know what, we don't want to be in the sales or the MSL business. We're just going to partner. Uh, with, with a larger company and they'll do the sales for us and we'll have some kind of uh, in- arrangement to, to split the cost. On the other hand, you guys decide that you want to build it and you want to grow it. Um, how do you make that decision? Were you involved in that thought process? I was not involved, uh, but you know what you're referring to, for example, our the field medical team is the medical science liaisons, right? right. And there are companies that choose to go the uh, contracting route, yes. right? Yes. Um, and, and it's okay how you do it. It's, it, you know, I think once you, um, you bring the right talent on board, um, it's okay. What, what I'm always very passionate about is the training, how much training, whether you do have a, an in-house team or you have a contracted team, the training is very important. Leadership is, is definitely important. It's what you do with that team. I think, I think, for medical affairs to be successful, they have to be empowered with data and information. And then and then go further with the training on how to communicate the data, which I call the art of scientific exchange, and everything will work out. And I would just emphasize that leadership in medical affairs is, is super important. Um, I think the knowledge, education, and background is one thing, but the leadership skills are another thing. So... So the leadership skills uh, are, are going to be extremely important in deciding how things go. B- before we get into leadership, let's talk a little bit about, um, you, you talked about the use of contract MSLs. Do you, do you, in your experience, see contract MSLs as a temporary measure, or do you think that companies so, sort of go, we're going to rely on them for the foreseeable future? And, and how do those decisions get made? 
So I've never had a contract uh, MSL team, but I do have a friend that works in that area and, and uh -huh. provides those services to companies. I would say that, um, it, you know, it depends. Again, it depends on where you are. Um, you know, there is a risk of bringing um, such a talented team and making a big investment when you really don't know, you know, uh, maybe you, you're not sure about the phase three results or you're not ready to hire an in-house um, team. I think those decisions are okay. Uh, I think where where you really want to do it right is make sure that um, you're going to to the right you know third party vendor to do this. Make sure that you have support. And and, and another important thing is make sure that you welcome that team as if they were you know part of the company because they are your face. They are the face of the company. You can't just rely on you know contract MSLs to go and represent the company when they're not. Um, aware and they're not included in internal, um, you know, information, data, and decisions. So, so that what I'm hearing you say then is that you treat them as basically part of the team, and and that obviously has major ramifications because you are sharing a lot of the treasure trove of data that you have with these um, with people who are not part of your company. Does that for you? in your role as as at, a, at the VP level cause um, concern? And is that is that one of the reasons you've gone, you know what, there are many advantages to that, but for us, we want to grow it internally. It, it's not a concern. Um, and I, I would just clarify, I don't have contract MSLs. I don't, I've never had right. them. Um, right. But here's the thing, um, Darshan, I think trust and empowerment is important. It's the same thing when you bring a consultant on board. You gotta trust. If you bring the right people on board, that shouldn't matter. Um, and and if I am bringing for any reason a contract MSL team, I gotta trust them. I gotta empower them, and I gotta give them enough tools and resources to go out and represent the company. It's yeah. no different. Um, you know, maybe the, the difference is that you're you don't you still feel an external uh, as an external person. But again, that that vendor that's providing those services. Their leadership is very important in making sure that this team is happy, appreciated, and rewarded. Very, very cool. So, so what you said is this process is starting, as, as, you, just, as you said, two years before launch. You're, you, you're now saying, we're going to start building a database. We're going to start training our MSLs. Uh, we're going to start creating. Are you, are you creating st uh, SRDs at this point, standard response documents at this point, or do you everything. wait till further on? No, everything, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, are you involved in how the? Because uh, at the same time, this is this is not a solo sport. You've got sales and marketing who are simultaneously involved, and you're having these conversations as a team. Um, and obviously, they, they aren't having an impact on what you do in, in medical affairs, but they are impacting how the product's going to be positioned. Talk to me a little bit about that early stage of the of that two years, if you will. What, how are you working together as a team? Are you, is, is medical affairs going, we can't talk positioning or are you talking about, like, how do you, how does that interaction happen at that point? So, yeah, we, we do swim in, in, in our own lanes and there are firewalls, but you know, one thing I would say firewalls doesn't mean that you cannot talk strategy together. Right. Um, one thing to clarify is that, you know, medical comes or actually the field medical team comes with the sales team, right? So by that time, you would hope that we would we had built enough relationships. 
um, introducing our um, commercial counterparts or sales counterparts is an introductory visit is is okay. And most companies um, allow that. There's no compliance as long as there is no scientific discussion um, done jointly. So in, an introduction and then separation is, is totally okay. But I would tell you that partnerships between the medical uh, department and the commercial department, even way before launch, is very important. Um, strategy is strategy, we're, we're, and we all know what, what our strengths are and what our contribution is. Where medical comes in place is really analyzing the data and looking into data gaps, and where do we want to focus our education on? What are the topics? And you know, you mentioned SRLs, for example, standard response letters. One one common um, you know mistake that that might happen is that you come up with a list which is a standard list and you develop the letters. The letters should really uh, be you know provide information on on questions that might come up. They should um, fill in data gaps and they should be very clear, precise, and to the point uh, for them to be valuable. So those are the things where medical, you know, medical should know what, you know, what, what the, what the role is. Our role also is publication, scientific communication, um, you know, talking, um, reporting insights is another important thing, right? We are the face of the company in the, you know, in the field and reporting those insights and what we're hearing on clinical practice and what we're hearing from our physicians and our, um, you know, KOLs is very important as well. So... So you're talking, so you're now late phase three, uh, close to launch. Your, your, your publication planning has been happening the, the whole way through. You're, but you're coming in, you're formalizing the process in many ways. Is there a medical writing team that's already been in place at this point? Or Depends. are you augmenting them? Are you a separate department? Or are you coming in the same, same department? They're all under, so all this happens under medical affairs. There are different, you know, there's also grants, there's independent, you know, sponsorships, there's, there, everything falls under medical affairs and it, it all depends on the company and where they are and, you know, and what investment they want to do. And I would tell there's, there is um, consulting companies that provide the writing. Uh, but again, you got to own it. It's, it's the company is as good as the leadership within medical affairs, having somebody internal who understands the process and understands the data. So the, really the, the final responsibility and accountability is, is on the internal team. Uh, but again, it depends. There is no, there is no rule, you know, your uh, scientific communication can be externally, or it could be a team that you form internally and bring talent into the company. So, so you're, you, you've now reached a point where you've got these documents together. Are you now um, involved in the regulatory process in terms of advising the, on the types of labeling? Because at this point, you're going to start having labeling discussions. Uh, and are you involved in that process or is that, out, is that more regulatory and less medical affairs? It is more regulatory and it is medical. And again, it depends on the company where medical might come in is, um, you know, to review it with a medical eye, um, the statements, the, you know, based on what we're hearing from physicians, sometimes we are also the link to KOLs, um, external KOLs. Um, and again, it depends on the company. So, so you, you, and, and I recognize in, in all cases, let's be clear, it's always dependent on the company. What, what we're trying to always establish is what have you seen? What are your experiences and how do you sort of 
um, review these things. Um, so, so we've now got a situation where um, you are uh, building these relationships. They're playing a role. Um, and now you're getting ready to launch. What, what do you find are the key two, three, four things that you want to make sure are at least in place? Because let's be honest, not everything's always going to make it in time, but you need everything to be at least, you, you want that structure, as you put it, in place. So what, what are you making sure at that point that you at least have in place? Yeah, so it's, it's really the talent to have the talent or, or a contingency plan based, you know, using consultants on the outside. But having the talent, I would tell you that um, there are certain um, talents that you have to have internally, like medical information, uh, you know, scientific communication. Sometimes um, HER is part of medical, but the field medical team, again, this is the face of the company. you got to have the right team. You're going to have the right talent and they have to have the right training and the resources to go represent the company. So once we get to that part, when we're ready to launch, you want this team to have developed those, you know, collaborations, those relationships and, and the advocates are right there to support us. Uh, it's again, you know, awareness, evidence generation, data gaps, uh, relationships matter. And the insights reporting, what they bring back from the field to us, it's very important that we take it seriously and we act on it because this is, we're listening now. This is what our KOLs are telling us and we got to listen. It's <laughs> amazing. We, we can keep going, as you know, but as you know, we, we do have to aim for um, 15, 20 minutes, well, we're at 25. And like I told you, we're going to try to try wrap things up. I do have five questions if you're open to answering them. Yes. The first question, and we've been showing that the whole time, but... What's the best way for people to reach you? LinkedIn. My LinkedIn profile is open. Please reach out anytime. Excellent. Second question. What would you like to ask the audience? I would like to ask the audience, what challenges have we faced? And those of you that are in medical affairs during a pandemic, and how did that benefit or change or, or made your, your circumstances worse? Fair enough. Um, what's something you learned in the last month? What I learned from last month is uh, what we took for granted pre-pandemic is the the live, uh, you know, personal relationships being in front of people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Zoom is great and we've done it, you know, but it doesn't replace um, having a conversation or a, uh, or coffee, you know, in a in a personal way. There are things that come up when you're when you're live with somebody that will never come back come up on Zoom. So, I agree. I agree. Um, what's something that made you happy in the last week? I was at a meeting with my team live, and we got to know each other more and connect. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really really cool. And last question. What's something most people don't know about you? What most people don't know about me, not most, maybe, yeah, um, is my passion for helping children out there. And if I were to win a lottery tomorrow, I will spend it all on orphanages to make their life better and get them out of, you know, the, the hardship that they have. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, that's, that's incredible. Again, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Irene. Uh, I appreciate it. I do hope you'll consider coming back again. Absolutely. Anything for Darshan. You're very kind. Thank you.